Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. for Texas Longhorn news, sports, and opinions with a bit of snark built in. We are a podcast of Burnt Orange Nation, and you can find more great Texas Longhorn content at burntorangenation.com. Before we jump in, though, I'd love to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps a ton with visibility. Share this with your friends, your coworkers, anybody that you know loves Texas Longhorn sports. My name is Gerald Goodridge. I'm your host this week, like I am every week. And we've got a special guest this week. The man, the myth, the legend, Westcott Eberts, is joining us today on the podcast podcast Westcott how are you doing I'm doing well Gerald uh thanks for having me on the first time uh on the podcast and uh, happy to do this now so we've got a little Texas basketball coming at you a little thing called the big 12 tournament is right around the corner I uh, will talk some football a lot of football news which is rare in February we got some things to talk about and obviously we'll close everything out with some bang the drum so Texas finished off the regular season in basketball in a mixed fashion, as they did every week. It feels like every week on the podcast, we say they had one good game, one bad game. And so Texas wrapped up their regular season with a win, an overtime win over West Virginia. Uh, Texas cleaned up in the uh, in the conference honors that they cleaned up. Jericho Sims ended up with newcomer of the week. Mo Bamba, uh, second team, all conference, all defense, and all newcomer. And then Coleman, Dylan O, and Snoop Roach, all honorable mention so real quickly Westcott I know you uh you have some opinions on these all-conference awards and how the uh how the season finished out so what do you think about the award season and what Texas came away with from the regular season I guess my big takeaway uh Kerwin Roach you know a guy uh first media availability of the year really where he goes on record and says that he wants to be the best defensive player in the country uh for him you know not to make that that defensive team I mean Zaire Smith I don't know. He's not He's not Kerwin Roach. I know Roach wanted more than that. Um, he put in a lot of effort. He was very good defensively all year. I think he deserved that honor. You know, he has a decision to make after this year. Unfortunately, that's not going to be uh, something that weighs into that. But, you know, I think he's a guy who's going to come out with even a, a little bit extra intensity after that slight. Yeah, he seems like a guy who plays with a chip on his shoulder. Like, if you if you slight him, he's going to make somebody pay for it. And that just happens to be Iowa State in the uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament, or not the NCAA tournament, the Big 12 tournament. I'm jumping ahead. We're not even quite sure that's yeah. going to happen yet. So, uh, at the time of recording, Texas is set to open up Big 12 tournament play Wednesday night against Iowa State, a team that uh, gave Texas some challenges this year to say the least so uh Westcott quickly you know we've got a ton to talk about uh but quickly 
What do you think Texas's chances are to pick up the much-needed win in the first round of the, the Big 12 tournament? Yeah, well, you know, Iowa State, you know, one of the few teams in the Big 12 that Texas actually swept in the regular season. Uh, first conference win in that overtime game back in Ames and then uh, took care of business at home against Iowa State. Uh, most likely no Mo Bamba tomorrow. Uh, he says that he doesn't think that he's going to be able to go. Uh, Shaka Smart doesn't think that Eric Davis will be back. Uh, certainly for that game and possibly for the rest of the season. But, uh, you know, city where Texas is, uh, ESPN Bracketology has them as uh, one of the last four teams in, still in the playing game, uh, you know, possibly headed to Dayton last uh, next week. Uh, this is a game Texas has to win, and, and frankly, Iowa State is a team that they should beat. They're the worst team in the Big 12, and Texas has done it twice before. Yeah, if if they can pick up one more win, that magic number of 20 seems to be you know, the the safe spot where you're guaranteed, almost guaranteed a spot into the tournament. So Texas would uh, pick up a win over Iowa State and really almost guarantee their spot in the NCAA tournament. Uh, so does a bad loss, if Texas has one of those weird games where they struggle, do you think that knocks them out of the NCAA tournament or do they still have a shot to get in? I think it's still possible for them to make it in. I think at that point, Texas would have much less control over what happens uh, they would be much more dependent on a few other teams uh, who are really close on the bubble. You know, one of them is a fellow Big 12 team. Uh, Oklahoma State has been making some noise, uh, swept Kansas, first team to do that uh, since Bill Self has been there. That's uh, not a small accomplishment. And uh, also have a win over Texas Tech. So right now they're one of the teams that Lenardi has on the bubble, and um, I think that's a fair assessment. You know, if, if Texas comes out tomorrow, uh, Wednesday night, um, as we're recording this, um, and, and loses to Iowa State, and Oklahoma State picks up a win or two in the tournament, uh, then that's definitely one of those teams that would seriously um, imperil Texas's NCAA tournament chances. So, you know, they really need to uh, take control of their own destiny and, and win two Big 12 games in a row for the first time this year. Yeah, that would be a, uh, a welcome change. I would love to to see that. So, like we said, NCAA tur- or Big 12 tournament. I'm going to say that at least two more times today. Big 12 <laughs> tournament uh, tips off Wednesday night. Now, we, we try to not talk about a ton of football outside of uh, the fall and, and spring practice time, but there was a lot of, of football news that, that hit this week. So, Early, kind of right after we recorded last week, we got news that uh, tight end Garrett Gray had decided to uh, forego his the rest of his eligibility, graduate, and leave the program. And it makes you know the Max Cummins move from a few weeks ago to switch from defense to offense make a little more sense. Uh, as Texas tries to figure out you know what's going on with the tight end position in the offense, everybody knows, or at least anybody who's watching it knows that tight the tight end is kind of integral to this offensive system. So. Westcott is the cupboard seems not bare, but you've got those last little vestiges. Like you need to go to the grocery store in the cupboard right now. So, what is the tight end position going to look like for Texas uh, heading into 2018 spring practice? I think the number one thing that Texas has to hope for is that you know Andrew Beck can make it through healthy. He's had you know a fair number of foot fractures now uh, that kept him out last year. Um, you know he got an extra year of eligibility, but. You know, at this point, he's a guy, and he, he practiced a little bit um, towards the end of last season, uh, which was nice because they didn't imperil his, his medical redshirt. He was cleared, uh, but they held him out for his redshirt season. Um, he's a guy that, that Texas really needs to have stay healthy through the spring and then, uh, you know, really hope that he can stay healthy through a football season. Right now, I think that's a pretty serious question. 
Um, and then, you know, a couple guys who are, who are looking at significant opportunities before Malcolm Epps, uh, who signed in the 2018 class. He's, you know, much more of a, of a little Jordan Humphrey type at this point, I would say, in terms of uh, being a large uh, pass-catching wide receiver. Um, until he arrives in, in the summer, um, you know, Max Cummins will have an opportunity. Uh, but, you know, Reese Latow, I think, is a guy that um, I'm going to be paying the most attention to. Uh, Kate Brewer, of course, the, uh, you know, sophomore now who had such a, a great fall, you know, caught a touchdown pass against USC in the, his third game. Um, you know, he's out for the spring with that ACL injury that um, that he had. And, you know, Latow, of course, had, um, you know, the felony drug charges, uh, last February, uh, managed to get those reduced to a misdemeanor. Um, he hired a very good criminal attorney in Tulsa, <laughs> uh, the best there is. That was probably expensive for his parents, but, you know, his his bit. dad's the uh, coach at DePaul, so he could afford it. Um, anyway, got into school, uh, suspended for the first three games, and then ended up redshirting, but, you know, he's a guy who, who otherwise, you know, profiled as, you know, he had a great GPA in high school, was, was known as, you know, mature and uh, – Excellent defensive end, a guy that Oklahoma wanted to play there. And uh, Tim Beck, uh, before the bowl game, noted that, you know, he was a guy who was a little bit better as a pass catcher than they thought. So the long-term future uh, for Texas right now, uh, for a dual threat inline tight end, that guy, until they find someone else, is Reese Latow. And, you know, Max Cummins will certainly have an opportunity to see what he can do playing a position that he played at uh, Austin St. Andrews as a junior. Yeah, I think the the tight end spot is has been... I'm trying to think of the last like real standout tight end the the Texas offense has had, and and I'm drawing a blank. We jokingly call it the Cursager Michael Finley. Are you not going to give some love to my boy Caleb Blewett? I mean, Caleb Blewett, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll give that. If he, if but that's knew... but that's about what we have, man. I mean, yeah, that's Caleb what that Blewett, is. and then Finley before that, yeah, Blewett yeah. takes offense when people talk about that. Uh, if you follow, yeah, him on the Twitter. best you got is like Jeff Swain. Blaine Irby made it back for a year and was okay. Uh, 2011, I think, was the last year that they were really highly productive, and that was uh, DJ Grant. And was that Irby's last year, maybe, too? It might have been. Yeah. DJ Grant's a name I haven't. I feel like I, I forgot that guy was even on the yeah, team. Yeah, DJ though. Grant sounds, caught a few passes that year. That's crazy. That's crazy. So we'll stay with uh, we'll stay with football. The NFL Combine has come and gone. You know, we've, we've talked at length on this podcast about how Puna Ford should have been there. He got robbed. We'll leave it at that. But the Horns were well represented in uh, in Indianapolis. So six Texas players worked out for various NFL teams or did weird things like, in Michael Dixon's case, staring contests <laughs> with folks. Uh, just really random stuff. So uh, Connor Williams, Malik Jefferson, Holton Hill, Deshaun Elliott, the punter Michael Dixon, and then Chris Warren the third, who I guess we can still claim him as a Texas guy. Uh, even though he's trying to transfer, trying to not, we'll still uh, claim him. His last playing days were in Texas. So uh, a lot of Texas players put up some pretty decent performances. And, and Westcott, you've been paying attention to this. So uh, what? Wh- who stood out the most? And, and were there any surprises for you looking at these guys work out? Yeah, so who surprised me the most? I don't know if there is anything that really stood out. Uh, you know, if you want to talk about just like a single testing number that shocked me the most, I would say Chris Warren's shuttle time and three cone drill which uh were both among the best in attendance uh 40 time wasn't good wasn't quick uh coming off his start I didn't think he looked great in drills but oddly enough he had like a top five shuttle time among all the running backs of the combine like would anyone have possibly seen that coming 
as as a guy who who thought the move to fullback was a genius move to capitalize on his ability to run into people in the backfield, that completely shocks me. Yeah, I mean, I think that as like as far as I can remember, I, I remember sitting there before the USC game and just you know like who does Texas have they could put an H back and thinking Chris Warren and I I tweeted about it and uh, you know you'll never guess who hated that it was uh, none other than Chris Warren the second former. <laughs> uh, Seahawks running back did not think that was a, <laughs> did not think that was a good idea and let me know about it. Anyway, that's a digression. Uh, back to the combine. I mean, you know, I, I would say that you know most of the Texas guys succeeded by basically being who people thought they were coming in. You know, Connor Williams, you know, a guy great in pass protection in 2016, had some stumbles, needed to show if, you know if he was healthy. He did that. He had one of the faster times. You know, his bench was solid. He was lean. He looked good in drills. Um, you know, he checked the boxes. I think, you know, Malik Jefferson, you know, largely checked the boxes. Holden Hill, probably the guy, you know, that you weren't really sure where exactly he was going to run. Deshaun Elliott also. Um, you know, Hill ran a, a, a four four nine. Um, didn't have a great vertical, but, you know, I think that was that was big for Hill. You know, at, uh, Deshaun Elliott, you know, ran okay. I think that was... It, it would have really hurt him to run worse than he did. I think that's kind of, you know, four, five, eight about what you would expect from him. And, you know, so really like, you know, all this kind of underwear Olympic stuff. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I think there's definite, you know, there's obvious and definite value to the combine there. But, you know, other than Connor Williams, you know, one of my big takeaways is just, you know, the fact that as with a lot of years, like these guys could come in, they could hurt themselves. They held themselves a little bit, you know, but a lot of the biggest questions, you know, are, are still things that they, they can't answer in that setting. And you, you mentioned Holton Hill running a four four nine. Most years, that's a good number for a cornerback, but you've got eight guys that ran <laughs> sub four four. Yeah. Which is nuts. Yeah, it was. I was just looking at those numbers. I, it's an insanely fast year for cornerbacks. Um, that will hurt them. But I, I think the one thing that Hill has really going for him is the fact that, you know, he's 6'3 and 200 pounds compared to a lot of smaller guys. So, you know, the, the teams, I think uh, I saw, you know, the Seahawks were mentioned as a possible landing spot. Like, he has, you know, probably a little bit of that, you know, Richard Sherman to him as, you know, a cornerback on, on the very high end of, of the height spectrum. You know, has some issues, especially, you know, off the field and, and improving his technique. Uh, but the raw skills is in that, like, that height-speed combination is is very unique for Hill, and, and somebody's going to take a chance on him. You know, we'll we'll see how high that is. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see him. I mean, the the big cornerbacks are the are the position du jour, the guys that are taller than six foot, because wide receivers seem to don't come any shorter than than six two or six three nowadays. So uh, having a, a taller guy there is good so we're gonna we're gonna go this is now the kind of the past recruits uh texas has had a couple of big weekends as far as recruiting goes for the 2019 cycle so texas had some big names in last weekend and we've had we have a couple big names coming in this weekend so let's let's backtrack a little bit you've written about it but uh man westcott the i guess this past weekend Texas hosted a couple of big name guys. If you want to catch our listeners up on on who is coming in and what that means for uh, our 2019 cycle, yeah, really three important guys on campus for the 2019 class. I guess I'll start with the offer. Uh, you know, Houston linebacker uh, David Benga. He's a guy a little bit shorter, six foot, 212 pounds. I, you know, you kind of watch him and you see a little bit of Gary Johnson to his frame, though. You know, certainly he's not quite as uh, 
fast as Gary Johnson, but, you know, Gary Johnson won, like, the 5 800 meters in Alabama, so that's about as fast as you could possibly get in a linebacker. That's certainly not a knock on Benda. Uh, he's a guy that, you know, Texas extended an offer. He's been pretty hot recently. Um, some crystal balls coming in for him. You know, linebacker is probably the number one need position, arguably. I think, uh, you know, the number one need position, they got some guys, you know, DeGabriel Floyd, uh, Lakia Henry, uh, Dodge Community College played in the same school as Gary Johnson. Uh, those are the two guys that, you know, Texas, I think, you know, would would really help uh, our key targets and would really make this a, a really good linebacker class. I think if Texas can lock down Benda early, that would provide a really good basis for then going out and, and adding those pieces around him, um, you know, who maybe have a little bit more prototypical size, uh, you know, in, in Floyd and Henry. Um, two other big targets on, on campus who, you know, are one of the other, you know, priority positions every year, um, offensive line. Both offensive tackles, uh, Javon Shepard and, and Tyler Johnson, both guys uh, from the Houston area, guys that Texas didn't get on campus for for the junior days recently. Um, so there were guys that were high on the list of um, you know targets for the staff to get to make sure that they uh, that they get on campus. Uh, Johnson is a guy that um, probably the, you know the number one target for Texas at offensive tackle. Um, you know about six four, three hundred pounds, just uh, absolutely looks apart. Like, looks like he could step into a college program right now. Texas is a leader for him. I, I think he's sort of similar to, to uh, Benda. You know, obviously uh, much more highly touted, but a guy that, you know, Texas could build the rest of their offensive line class around if they could get him secured early. And then Javon Shepard, um, you know, also a guy, you know, pretty high on Texas A&M. He'll be one of those key Texas-Texas A&M battles that will define the upside of this class for Texas. Uh, coming up this weekend, uh, a couple of reports out there on on uh, Tuesday. Kenyon Green, the the five star offensive tackle, um, you know, may may more likely be a guard. Um, he'll be in town. He's a top fifteen player nationally, and uh, he's a guy that's really high on Texas A and M. Um, and you know, we'll see coming out of uh, that visit whether Texas can make a surge in his recruitment and and be a player in it, or uh, you know, if he's a guy that that could be one of the leaders in the A and M class eventually. Yeah, it's it seems like this is going to this class is really going to in, influence this budding recruiting rivalry. I say budding recruiting rivalry because it hasn't really been much of the last few years. You know, Texas kind of dominated the 18 group and then, you know, it seemed like Texas and A&M a couple of guys battled but not huge names. So this 2019 class is going to be really indicative. So, uh, you know, this may be off the cuff and and feel free to just say I don't have anything, but um who you you said linebacker is a key position. What else should fans, the recruit Knicks, the people that are trying to get caught up on 2019, what else should they be looking for Texas to kind of prioritize in this 2019 class? Well, defensive line, you know, is is always an, another big priority too. Um, you know, that's one of the areas that that stands out. You know, Demarvin Leal uh, from Converse Judson is a guy that I think Texas would really like to build their staff around. Then you see where they go from there. Um, you know, I think there's a little bit of pressure to land and put together a top flight, you know, wide receiver class just because there's an absurd number of really talented guys out there. Um, you know, RJ Henderson, probably not coming to Texas. Theo, Theo Wees, probably not coming to Texas. Uh, almost certainly not with either one of those guys. Uh, but I would watch, you know, guys like Garrett Wilson, um, Elijah Higgins, uh, Jalen Ellis, a guy who possibly might get an offer, uh, Dylan Wright out of uh, Mesquite would probably be the, you know, the ideal guy that the staff would have to add. And then, uh, you know, Jordan Whittington 
um, who makes possibly might finally make a, a decision, pushed back several times on uh, March 10th. He's another really qu- uh, critical possible, you know, Texas A&M, uh, Texas battle, UCLA also in the mix. He's a guy that, you know, that could have a lot of influence on other recruits in the state, I think. Um, so that could be uh, the the first uh, really big, uh, really important uh, Texas-Texas A&M showdown in the 2019 class, even though, uh, you know, A&M, and Texas have had, you know, traded a few head-to-head wins with A&M getting three big ones uh, in that January time frame. It'll be interesting to see how it shapes out. I, again, I'm obviously not a fan of A&M uh, doing well in the recruiting scene. If they were in the Big 12, it may be a little different, but they can uh, they can keep on doing whatever they want to do. So quickly before we uh, before we jump into some bang the drum, uh, Texas women made it to the Big 12 championship game a couple of nights ago, and the team that they struggled with all year, the Baylor Bears, just were too much for them. I'm not sure. Uh, I watched some of that game, and it just it just looked like Baylor had a, another gear that they kicked into uh, toward the end of the game, and they managed to come away uh, with a 77 to 69 win. We'll see more of these ladies, obviously, in the NCAA tournament. And then the baseball team, what's up, baseball? Uh, they, after a weird Friday night situation, I'm not sure what happened. Uh, a 6-2 loss. They came out and absolutely blew the doors off Northwestern uh, in a doubleheader on Saturday and then uh, on Sunday as well. Double digits in all of those wins. So feeling good heading into a uh, a four-day series against Stanford. Man, are you you big baseball guy, Westcott? I am a big baseball guy. This time of year, it's like, what am I going to do with my weekend? Well, uh, last weekend, you know, the answer was four baseball games uh, outside of the Friday night game, which uh, there's a, a slight... Um, disaster with the um, washer that happened that uh, caused me to unplug all my electronics and you know (laughs) deal with some standing water in my living room so uh, that was the disaster that happened to me the disaster that happened to Texas baseball was they ran into the you know the one good northwestern starter and then couldn't get hits with runners in scoring position other than that man losing to Baylor in women's basketball you know how many in like you know the streak that Baylor is on against Texas women's basketball? What is that? 18 of 19. Good night. How brutal is that? And Kim Mulkey knows it too, and she's so like she's so smug about it, and she just like, man, she is the monkey on Karen Aston's back like right now. Like Baylor just owns Texas and women's basketball. And, you know, for this women's basketball team to make the next step, that's going to have to change at some point. And maybe it's just when, like, Kalani Brown is gone because that girl is a force of nature. Like, I mean, she's ridiculous. Like, I don't even, I don't even know, like, how you stop her at, a col- at the college level. There are those players, like the Brittany Griners of the world, who just you don't really have an answer for. And, and Kalani Brown is one of those. And it seems every team is going to have one. I'm interested to see what it looks like when they, uh, when they roll up in the NCAA tournament uh, for both teams. I'm interested to see what Baylor does as well because – it's hard to shut down uh, yeah. a big girl. Well, I mean, I think, you know, it, it would help if they could chew well. Brooke McCarty's been struggling this year. You know, certainly try to avoid UConn and, and definitely Baylor. And <laughs> this women's team can make a run for sure. Just be on the opposite side of the bracket. Get, just get Keep the those heck. two teams away. Yeah, I... I'd be okay with it. Uh, But that brings us to the part of the show where we honor uh, our favorite tradition, at least one of my favorite traditions on the 40 Acres, Big Bertha, and we bang the drum. So, Westcott, what 
are you banging the drum on this week? Man, I just want people to leave Shaka smart alone for a little bit. I think anyone who follows me on Twitter, you know, some of the writing on the, on the website, I just, I don't understand the level of hatred for him or even the type of thinking that would make you want to fire a coach who met his Ken Pond, like, Texas was predicted to go 8-10 and 10 by Ken Pond in the Big 12. What was their record? This wasn't a team that underachieved. Like, certainly there are frustrating moments, and I get that, but, I mean, is he recruiting well? You just got a chance to watch Mo Bamba in a Texas uniform. Like, is that is that not a thing that people care about? Like, now people are like, oh, Jericho Sims is better than Mo Bamba, and, like, Mo Bamba should play. Like, that's a real thing that people say. Like, Jericho Sims is getting better. Kerwin Roach is getting better. This is a team, like, they dealt with Andrew Jones having leukemia. They just dealt with Mo Bamba, like, having a toe injury. They were, like, the one team that, like, program that actually had someone who was in serious jeopardy from the NCAA from, a and, like, ASM sports business and actually suspended them. Like, USC was the only program that, you know, was in a really similar position. They they talked to the kid for 10 minutes, and they're like, you can play, dude, you're good. And Texas is like, no, man, you need a lawyer. Like, <laughs> as stupid as, like, all of this might be, like, I would say that Texas fans should be proud of that, but I don't know. This team has been through so much. They've continued to play hard. They recruited well, like... I just don't understand. Why would you want to? Why would you want to pay fifteen million dollars to make him go away? And so, one of the things that's really disappointing to me is there's so many people who have already decided that Shaka Smart isn't good enough to succeed at Texas, despite all these things that have gone on with the program and their complete and utter lack of understanding for the relevant context in these circumstances. They've they've already decided that they're pitted so far against Shaka that they're even complaining after the team wins. Like, they're complaining about some, like, coaching decision. Like, why isn't Jacob Young playing more? Why isn't Jericho Sims playing more? Like, why aren't they talking about the zone defense that Texas played late in that game against West Virginia that put them in the scoring slump that helped them win the game? That's a very conscious coaching decision. Like, people are complaining about the team not being able to make plays at the end of games and, like, still talking about what happened against Oklahoma State and Duke when they've already addressed those and they won against Oklahoma because they stopped doing that. Like, they did that against against uh, West Virginia, too. Like, when Texas wins, so, like, for some reason, the coaches don't get any credit. And certainly, that's the nature of the business. Everybody should get credit when a team wins. But I just don't understand the hatred. And my fear is that it's creating such a toxic environment that there's not really that much that Shaga Smart can do to be successful in the eyes of fans who think that Texas should be, like, in the Sweet 16 every year. Like, after three years after firing a coach, like, that's just not legitimate. Like, we can have a conversation next year and say, is Shaga Smart good enough to lead Texas to Sweet 16s and the year after? But I just don't understand, given everything that's happened, why the expectations are so outsized compared to, like, what Texas has traditionally been and the fact that they just fired their coach three years ago. It seems to me it's a bit of a tone-deaf response for folks. Like, he's seven games better than he was last year, missing two of his best players for significant amounts of time this year. So it seems um, it seems like an, an oversized response to a team struggling. It's a team that, again, like you mentioned, missing Andrew Jones with tragic, you know, tragic situation, Mo Bamba uh, going out the last few games of the year with a toe injury. It's a team that's battled through adversity and is still seven games better than a season ago. So I, I'm in your camp. I think, you know, if they don't seem to progress next year, 
then I think we can start having conversations. But after after an 11 win season coming out with 18 wins and, and a legitimate shot at making a run in the Big 12 tournament and in the NCAA tournament, I, I think it is a uh, it's a silly level of response, is what I'll say. And in a lot of ways, I understand. Like I understand, I think it it really fits into the larger t- trajectory of Texas sports. And particularly where the you know the program was from you know starting in 2013 where Mac Brown was fired and I think it just it built up this almost reflexive response from fans where if anything's going wrong we just blame the coaches and then we'll like fire a coach and then that'll like solve all of all of the problems. You can't build anything with that. No, you can't build anything with that. And I think I think the other thing that happens too is that Texas fans were so used to freaking out about every football loss. Because every football loss was a huge deal for a long time. They've been losing more. And then they have trouble switching their mindset between football and basketball seasons. And so every basketball game takes on the important, like almost like a football game, like level of importance for the fan base just from game to game. And so the emotions just ricochet all over the place. So I'm dropping like Xanax from from like <laughs> helicopters and stuff around here or something to get people to chill out maybe, but I mean people just need to slow down. Like some of the baseball fans did that when they lost to Northwestern on Friday too. Like just wait until they turn on David Pierce. My goodness. If they're wanting to have levels of football expectation, uh, then fans need to show up like it's a football game. Like that's that's just my. <laughs> yeah right. I'll just I'll just put that out there. Uh, so quickly, I'm banging the drum. Spring practice starts in like two and a half weeks. So we are like 16 days out from spring practice, which seems like the football season, the bowl game, feels like it was just yesterday, which it was honestly only about six weeks ago. So uh, your, your long national nightmare is almost over. We'll get some spring practice. There are, at my counting, there are probably – nine or ten positions that could have legitimate battles for uh, who's going to be coming out, which uh, is a little scary, and I don't want um, I don't want to ring the alarm bells too early, but I, I just, again, quarterback, running back, slot receiver, tight end, like who the heck is going to be playing those spots is, is a little worrying to me, but spring practice, I love the, the, uh, the Tom Herman meritocracy that he's creating, so I, I it gives me some peace of mind knowing that whoever shows out in practice, regardless of class, regardless of recruiting numbers, you know, if it's Tennille Carter, if it's Daniel Young, if it's Keontae Ingram coming in and blowing up the spot, they're going to play. And so that for me, whispering practice in 16 days and so many questions, this mindset of put the best guy on the field and let's see if we can win some football games really makes me uh, really makes me feel some hope for the future of Texas football. I mean, there's nothing like that uh, that shorter stretch when you don't miss a bowl game between the bowl game and actual spring practice, right? And this is uh, Texas hasn't had an off season this short since uh, 2014-15, so that's a that's a sad thing. Yeah, uh, spring practice definitely exciting. You know, the nine early enrollees on campus. We'll be providing, you know, a lot of competition for the team. Uh, you know, Mikey Grandy, yes. you know, one of the more important ones. Two more quarter. They have a, they have two. They have four whole scholarship quarterbacks in the quarterbacks room. Can you imagine that? What does that even mean? <laughs> I didn't realize that was possible. It's it's crazy. So yeah, I, that's we're I'm working on some spring preview stuff, and and it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch these uh, these position battles shake out because it 
this could be a very different looking offense than it was a year ago when when everybody was underclassmen. So we'll see we'll see how it shakes out in in spring practice, which starts on March the twentieth. Well, thank you guys so much for listening in again this week. And before we jump out, I'd like to remind you, if you like what we do, please leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe wherever you found it, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're literally everywhere but Spotify. I'm going to say that every week until Spotify returns my emails. So, Westcott, the people are probably already following you, but where can they find you uh, on the internet in the wide world of sports? Yeah, Twitter, uh, at SBN underscore Westcott, W-E-S-C-O-T-T. And of course, uh, as always, at you know your favorite Burn Orange Nation. Absolutely. If you're somehow not already following us on Burn Orange Nation, come hang out with us. We have a good time over there. You can follow me on Twitter. I am at GH Goodridge. If you're into comic book movies and nerd news and stuff like that, check out my other podcast, Two Woke Nerds. We do that every Wednesday. You can follow Kyle on Twitter. He's at Kyle Carpenter. Obviously, follow the show on Twitter at Longhorn Pod, shoot us an email, longhornrepublicpod at gmail.com. And we actually just got a Facebook page up and running, so you can check us out there as well at Longhorn Pod on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening in to the show this weekend. Until next time, hook up. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Just go to cars.com. It's magical.